Let me just pray to open our year and uh, open our study. Father, we do humble ourselves before you this morning. We are so thankful to be sons and daughters, to be reconciled to you, to be alive when we were dead. And we're thankful to be part of the body, part of the church, and part of Timberlake. And I pray that today that you would uh, just impress on our hearts from your word what you would have us to see. And thank you for all the new faces. Thank you for all the old faces. And we pray that we would grow together today as your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is a joy to have so many of our friends back this morning, isn't it? Summer crowd? Yes? Um, Mary and I were talking last night, and I was thinking in my mind, it's kind of like Christmas morning, like you're kind of waiting on Christmas morning, and I didn't say that to her, and she said, it's kind of like you're waiting on having a baby. I was like, really? Like, uh, having a baby is very, very painful. You know, the expect, but she meant the expectation of the, the joy of you guys coming here. So we did have a great summer, but we missed uh, everyone, and it's truly one of the highlights of my year and our year here at Boundless when everybody gets back. So the church is buzzing with excitement. There's a lot of spiritual reunions. You guys are hugging each other, and it's you know, sweet to see. But seriously, though, to, to steal Paul's words, uh, you guys here in Boundless are our joy and our crown. We are constantly thanking God for you. You love Christ. You love his word. You love each other in very real and tangible ways. You love unbelievers. You're willing to lay it on the line as you share the gospel. And we love you as your leaders. And if you're new here this morning, um, welcome to Timberlake. And in case you wandered in and you're sitting here and you don't really know where you're at, this is the College of Career Ministry. Uh, my name is Clay, and I'm one of the pastors here at Timberlake. My wife is somewhere in the back. I'm going to stand up there. I'm going to make everybody stand up when I call in. That's my wife. Her name is Mary. And uh, she is a joy and a blessing to our family and our church. And we, Mary and I, have been at the church for about 12 years as members. And I've been a pastor on staff for about six. And it's just a, it's a privilege. It's a privilege just to know Christ. It's a privilege to be a Christian. And it's a double privilege uh, to be called to be his, his under-shepherd here. And if you're new and we haven't met you yet, we would love to. Uh, that's why we made the lunch today, so we could kind of get together, have some extended time together, and, and connect with all of you guys. Um, so please don't be a stranger. Come up and introduce yourself. I might try to find you if I don't know you and introduce myself to you. So don't be, don't be intimidated by that. We're just trying to get to know everybody. And, uh, but I am one of the pastors, but I'm not the only pastor, and I'm not the only pastor in this ministry. So I serve alongside my friend and mentor, Pastor Rich Brown. So he was here. He introduced me as a pastor, but he is also a pastor. He is one of our elders here at Timberlake. And when it comes to college ministry, he and his wife are veterans. Can I call you that? Where are you? Where'd you go? You just vanished. Can I call you guys ministry, college ministry veterans? How long have you been serving collectively in college ministry your whole life? Old. (laughs) Aged. How long have you been serving? How many years? Don't make me do math. How many years is that? Whoa, we got like we got conflicting numbers here. Thirty-seven years. Wow. 
37 years of college ministry. So that is, that's a long time. All right? They've been investing in students in Ohio, and now they've been here at Timberlake. And, and this is, I believe, their 12th year of ministry at, at the church here. And it's funny because we came to the church at the same time. Uh, Rich and I did. And, and uh, that was just funny in God's providence how he's worked, how he's worked that out. And these two uh, are examples to us all here, aren't they? They're faithful, they're wise, they're steady, they're so gracious, they are hospitable. Every Sunday they have like 20 or 30 of you into their home, you know, you, you eat them out of house and home, which is great, uh, but when we grow up, we all want to be like Rich and Christy uh, in the church as we're serving, so thank, we're thankful for them. And if this is your first Sunday, we, we are glad you're here, but we do want to be upfront with you about our intentions. So there's not, we're not going to pull any punches with you. The goal of our church and of our ministry here in Boundless is to help you follow Jesus. Like, that's our goal. He is our King. He is our Savior. He's our friend. And He's our God. He is why we're here. And He is who we're trying to please. Not you. And so if you, if you know Him... We want to help you grow in Him. And if you don't know Him, we want to introduce you to Him so that you can come to trust Him and obey Him too. But we want to help Christians, we want to help you guys grow in Him to experience the joy of growing up to maturity in Christ, to experience that thrill of becoming obedient and useful and fruitful in this life right now for His glory. And that's our aim here in Boundless. That's, what, that's why we do everything. It's the heartbeat of the ministry, because that's the mission of the church. That's the mission that the king gave to us. It's not ours. We didn't come up with it. It's his marching orders that he gave us in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. So if you stick around, by God's grace, this is what, it's what, we're, it's what we're aiming to do. And when I say we... I mean we. I don't just mean Rich and I. We're your pastors, yes, but we play a part, one part, if you've got like a pie chart, we play one part of this corporate ministry that the the church is. We teach, we counsel, we pray, yes. We lead you, yes. But discipleship, this Matthew 28 ministry, it happens among the membership, among the church. As more, the more mature are growing, and they, they begin meeting up with the less mature and helping them grow. And so, because of that, we have an entire leadership team made up of folks who are growing, and they're eager to get involved in your lives too. Now, if you're not on leadership, don't be offended. You're growing too, okay? But these are just people that we've set aside to help others grow. And it is a, a great joy and privilege to be serving alongside these folks. Um, and since last year, we, we made a few transitions. Some have moved on to other areas of the ministry, and some have stayed, and then others have been added to the team. So let me just, real quick, kind of intro, give you guys some, some updates. All right, so Mark and Bethany Henry and Tuck and Sarah Engel have transitioned this year. So we're all sad about that. We can allow a collective awe. Yeah, but it's good, okay? So it's good. It's good that they're transitioning. They're in different seasons of life. Different needs, different ministry opportunities. So they have decided uh, that they can best serve Christ elsewhere, but we can still maybe rope them into an occasional Thursday night. Does that work? Yeah, yeah let's, let's work on them, okay? They can feel really guilty today. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know if they're in here, actually. 
So, we love them, and um, it's, a, it's a sweet, good transition, good decision, um, but they have transitioned. Now, several of last year's crew remain. They've stayed around. We didn't scare them off. All right. Bailey and Gabby Farrell, stand up. Where are you? Right, just get ready to stand. Wave, smile. Any, any words? <laughs> Bailey is an account manager at, uh, for a company called Production Solutions, and Gabby was a public school teacher, but now they are expecting. She is starting the transition to be a stay-at-home mother. So we are excited for that. Yep. And they're expecting January and a boy. No offense to the ladies. All right, ladies are important and special. I have two of them. All right, so Bailey and Gabby are sticking around. Med school folks are back, too. Mike and Kristen Jackson, stand up. Yeah, Yeah, we're excited to have the Jacksons back. And James and Sabrina White, stand up. Are you guys? Holding down med school on boundless leadership. Wow. Um, We had a great time serving with those two couples. They're super gifted. Excited they're back this year. Uh, Mike tells me the boundless band is ready to go. Yeah, great. And Sabrina, big shoes to fill, she's taking the snack baton from Sarah. So, but we know that Sabrina's going to be fine. So, uh, we got a good crew to help her, right? So, encourage her in that and sign up when there's sign-ups coming around to help with food. All right. Well, beyond those folks, we've uh, also added some new leaders this year. We're super excited to have Anna Catherine uh, on the team. So, Anna Catherine, where you at? Stand up. Hello, Anna Catherine. Yep. So Anna Catherine is a social worker and has a huge heart for discipling girls. We've been talking about this a while for her to come on, and so we're excited for that. Uh, Rigel and Lily Roberto, you can stand up. Yeah. yeah. Rigel works at Berkeley Farm. Lily works for TCS, and that's the Christian school that's associated with the ministry here, and so we're excited to have them. Also joining them are a number of our TES students, a number of our seminary guys, and their wives. So Chet and Atlanta Walker, you guys stand up. Yeah. Colin and Emily Dingus, they in here, they might be in Sunday school, yes. Colin and Emily joining us. Isaac Harkness, there he is. Jake Norman. And Joseph Daughtry. So these are our TES guys and their, their families. These folks have huge hearts for ministry, and the men are all training towards some form of pastoral ministry in the future, Lord willing. So it is a privilege to serve alongside them. And finally, we're adding two other young men that I've gotten to know well over this past year. Hayden Eichard. Where's Hayden? There he is. The jam and electric guitarist up there in the Boundless Band. So... And uh, Teo Hugh. So their hearts to care for others are evident, you know, if you know these guys. And we're excited to work alongside them. And so for those of you who may not know Teo, because he's very new, maybe you know his new fiance. Claire Hoover. So congrats to them. They were engaged in July, right? when it was. Yep. So now all the fun things start there for wedding planning. Now, I know those are a lot of names and faces, right? 
I think there's like 18 leaders this year. It's about double of what we had last year. But my point here is to show you that discipleship is a church effort. Make sense? It's not, Rich and I can't possibly get to everybody in this ministry. And these leaders alongside us are, are, are glad to spend and be spent for your souls. So get to know them. We'll be talking more about that in weeks to come. And we've needed this increase in leaders because over the last few years, boundless has really grown. And this time of year especially means we've got a ton of new visitors. I met a number of you today. Many of you were invited by friends. Maybe you looked us up online. Maybe you just wandered in. And for some of you, okay, I'm a realist. For some of you, you know, I know you're not going to stay. And this may be the only chance that I get to speak to you. You're looking for churches. You're kind of feeling us out here at Timberlake. And so at the beginning of the year, almost every year, I ask this question. I ask myself, if I could tell these students one thing, what would it be? Just one thing. If I could leave the new Christian college student with one truth, what would I tell them? If I could have one conversation, what would I talk about? And for the last several years, my answer has been the same. I preached a similar message last year at this time. And I reviewed it, and I thought, my answer is the same. And so those of you who are here know that this is on repeat, okay? So I apologize in advance. But this is what I would tell you. You've heard it a couple times today already. I would tell you to do everything in your power to prioritize the church, to prioritize the local church. That's it. That's what I want to tell you today. That's what I want to talk about this morning, briefly, in the time we have left. I would tell you to make the church, make the local church here in Lynchburg a priority. There's going to be a lot vying for your time, as you already know. School's starting, friendships are back, they're playing pickleball, right? Is that like the happening game? Pickleball, spike ball, that's what I meant. I'm way out of touch. (laughs) Wrong ball. We were talking about pickleball this weekend, it's been on my mind. That's like the old person sport I've heard. Maybe not. Okay. Old people like me. Well, there's, there's things vying for your attention, but, but I would say, seriously, don't let campus life or anything else crowd out your commitment to a local body. Commit to it. Love it. Learn from it. Find help in it. Serve it. Make it your priority. And that's true for all of life, not just the college years, but especially for the college years or the young adult years if you're not in college. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, who is this guy? Uh, doesn't he know that we are going to a Christian college with multiple convocations every single week, with required Bible classes, no matter the major, with campus community services on Wednesday nights, community group meetings on the hall? Is he saying that I need even more of that just at church? I mean, I know I'm supposed to go to church on Sundays, but it sounds like you're saying that the local church is even more central than Liberty University. And I'm saying that. You're right. And let me take it even further and say it like this. One of the most important decisions that you will make while you are in that Christian university is which church you commit to. All right, you say. Now it seems like he is way out of touch with my life. Not only does he not understand the difference between pickleball and spikeball. 
But he forgets that I have a major to decide and a spouse to find, right? Oh, no, no. Single for life, right? These are important decisions, are they not? It sounds a little bit like you're an overzealous pastor trying to pad his college ministry numbers. Well, that's not at all what we're doing. When more people come into our ministry, let me tell you what my heart does. It does two things almost simultaneously. It's kind of a weird, weird concept, but it, it responds in two ways. At the same time, I fear and I rejoice. I fear because every new soul represents one more person that both me, Rich, and the elders here will have to give an account for at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's according to Hebrews 13, 17. I was once told by a mentor, a very old man, that on that day, I will certainly not wish for a bigger ministry. And yet my heart does rejoice. Why? Because even though our church is not perfect, okay, we are far from perfect. We would have to leave if the church is going to be perfect. You tracking? Even though we're far from perfect, we believe this is a healthy place to be. And if you commit yourself to a healthy church, to a biblical church, a church that's trying to honor what Christ has said, it will literally be life-giving to your soul. You'll find life, you'll find protection, you'll find growth. So if you're not already convinced yet, I'm going to let the Scriptures tell you why you must prioritize the church. As we're going to see, the local church is designed by God to be absolutely central to the life of every single believer. And for you, it's especially tempting to think that because you attend a Christian school, or you hear preaching at convocation, or you sit in Bible classes, or you have Christian friends on the dorm, that you have all you need. You think you're safe. You think that you'll just automatically flourish. But I think you'll see today that as good as hell you can be, it's not all you need. So this morning, what I want you to see is what's motivating me to make a claim like that. And we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. So you can go ahead and turn there. But I want you to see what's, what's underneath this sort of strong statement that I'm, that I'm making this morning. Because we try to be shaped by Scripture. This is, I think, something that Paul would be fully approving And I want to give you at least four reasons why we we must prioritize the church. In particular, the local church. We'll cover these quick. I know we're 9.52 and we've got to be out of here at 10.15. Okay? So I'll try to blitz through this. This is not the normal speed at which we cover things. Okay? This is a crash course. Remember, this is my one conversation with you. Now, we could go over, like, we could literally go over any place in Scripture and, and find a lot of these principles these reasons. But to try to keep things simple this morning, just want to go from Ephesians. I'm grounding all my reasons this morning from the book of Ephesians, from Paul's letter. And this letter is all about the centrality of God's church. Maybe that's an oversimplification, but it's like one of the greatest letters to study if you're, if you're trying to see why we need to prioritize the church. And one of the first things we see in this letter, the first reason that I'm calling it, we could grab a number of them, But the first one is that we should prioritize the church because the church is a big deal to God. 
We should prioritize the church because the church is a big deal to God. Because it's God's priority. And it's His priority first. And that's putting it mildly. Since the Lord prioritizes His church, so should we. So just so you can get a, big, a feel for how big of a deal the church is to God Himself, I want to give you a, a few statements, Paul, show you a few statements Paul makes in the first couple chapters of, of this letter. Alright? First one's right out of chapter 1, and it's this. It's God chose the church before He created the world. God chose the church, the people who He would save, He would redeem them, He would bring them together in a people, He would glorify them, and they would live forever with Him, and He planned that, chose that, before He ever made the world. Look at Ephesians 1.4. We'll start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as or because He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now there's a lot there. And I'm coming out with election right out of the gate. First sermon, okay? Just hold on. What I'm drawing out here is that the church is not an afterthought to God. We were in God's mind. We were planned. We were even chosen before the foundation of the world. This means then that the church isn't some optional institution to God. Far from it, and profoundly so. God has always had the church in mind. In fact, Paul goes on to say in this letter that the creation of the church was part of God's mysterious plan. It was hidden in ages past. It's being revealed now through his apostles, like Paul, writing this letter. It's being made known to the world of this mystery. It's now revealed that the purpose of the church, the coming of the church, is revealed in HD clarity with the coming of Christ. And he says that over in chapter 3. Just get a little taste of that. Chapter 3, look in verse 8. Paul says, To me, although I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, listen to this language, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, you hear the centrality of that? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. So you hear these words like the plan of God, the eternal purpose of God, the church is showcasing the wisdom of God, which we'll talk about. The point here is that the church is not something that's marginal. And we shouldn't think of the church as marginal and something like liberty or any other Christian institution as central. We've got it backwards. We should reverse that. We should think of the church as central and the other organizations as optional, ancillary, 
additives to what the church is and does and is promised to be. The church, as ragtag as it may seem, is what God Himself chose before He ever created. So it's a big deal. Another way the church is a big deal to God is is by looking at what it took to create the church. God slaughtered His Son to create the church. And the Son of God was the Father's most precious possession. His deepest love. And He killed Him and raised Him from the dead to create the church. Look with me over here and in, in chap- go back in chapter 2. We'll start in verse 13. give you a second to finish writing. Verse 13, he says, But now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Why? That... He might create in himself, that's Jesus, he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity in place of the two, that's Jew and Gentile, in place of the two, so making peace, and the peace between Jew and Gentile, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So, again, another complicated text that's profound. But the point he's making, what I want you to see here, is that God brought us near through the blood of Christ and that Christ, by his death on the cross, that slaughter, that Roman execution, by that death, he actually created this one new man, which that's shorthand for the church, this group of Jews and Gentiles that are now believing in Jesus. They've been brought together Unified together now in Christ. Again, don't want to assume anything. Jews, ethnic Jewish people, Gentiles, non-Jews. Pretty easy. That's most of us in here. Okay? All the nations. Brought together into one new humanity. He created it. He created the church by killing his son. He ended all our hostilities against each other, and he enables us now to love each other, So no matter our race or ethnicity, we are together one new humanity in Christ. And he died to bring that about. So this shows us that God is very invested in this project called the church. He's got a lot of stock in it. He's invested in particular in the local manifestations of the church. He's very concerned that we learn to get along and really display the reality of this unity that Christ has created. That's because Paul says that God displays His wisdom through the church. We just read that over in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, God's doing these things so that through the church, verse 10, 
the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I mean, this is profound. We're just skipping across the top of these profound texts. And this one shows us that God intends to put His own divine wisdom on display to angels, to the cosmos, through the church. (laughs) Through us? Right here? He's putting His wisdom on display as the angels and, and, and the principalities and powers look on in astonishment that people who once hated each other are now learning to love. That they're coming out from being under their control and they don't have any choice because they're, they're united to Christ who's seated far above the, the principalities and powers. And they, they cannot stop it. And Paul's going to go on to say that God is uniquely glorified. His power is put on display in and through the church as we are conformed to Christ because we are learning to display what God in Christ is like to the world. So when we put all this together, we start to see that the church is a huge deal to God. We see that He planned it before He created it. We see that He brought it into existence through the cross, and He displays His wisdom in us and through us. It's his central, is central to his purposes for humanity. Paul did not say that his eternal plan was to start a Christian university or a seminary or a Christian nonprofit. As helpful and as useful as those institutions can be, I'm thankful for them. Don't hear, don't mishear me. But he did say. What he did say is that God's purpose and plan before he ever created was to bring about the church. So that's the first reason that we should prioritize the church. I spent a little longer on that one just to kind of lay the foundation. It's a big deal to God. <laughs> and if it's a big deal to him, it needs to be a big deal to us. All right, number two. Second reason. We should prioritize the church because the church is what we have been saved into. So we've been saved into. So you think, what, what do you mean by that? Well, let's, let's look real quick. You, you, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You're not just some isolated Christian. If you've, if you've experienced salvation in Christ, you are de facto part of this thing we're calling the church. It's part and parcel to your identity. So look here in in. Ephesians 2.19 So then you are no longer, he says, strangers and aliens. That's what we were before we knew Christ. We didn't have a family or a place or anything. We were strangers and aliens, but we're no longer that. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There's a structure here. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom this whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Again, we're just the rocks skipping across (laughs) these passages. If you're a believer, your fundamental identity is bound up with God's people. 
you were once an outsider, but now you've been brought into God's family, the church. And this text shows us that God does not intend for Christians to live alone, to live outside this local body. We're being built together into a holy temple, he says. But you might, if you're inquisitive, you might be saying, well, isn't he talking about the universal church here, Clay? By universal, we mean Christians all over everywhere, every true, genuine believer. Isn't, isn't that what he's talking about here? Well, yeah, that's what he's talking about here. But who's he writing to? A local church. <laughs> he's writing to the church in Ephesus. According to Acts 20, this was a group of people that had elders, structure, leadership, appointed by Paul on behalf of Christ. It's a local congregation. It's a recognized church in Ephesus, or maybe even multiple congregations, but the point is that they're localized. It's a recognized church or churches in Ephesus made up of people just like us, a church that, that has appointed and qualified pastors and a congregation that they know who they are. They know the members of that congregation. And he expects that, uh, that the local churches, he expects that local church in Ephesus to grow together in all these ways he's talking about. Sunday after Sunday. So think about it. This same Paul, the Paul who wrote this letter, he traveled around from city to city evangelizing. And when people converted to Christ, did he just leave them there as the universal church? Oh, you know, you're a Christian, so you're part of the universal church. No, he didn't do that. He gathered those people together. He gathered those converts. They met regularly as a local body. Then as time... As, as, As the Lord provided, he appointed official leaders, called elders. We call them pastors. He appointed official leaders in those churches to shepherd those local churches that he had planted so those churches would continue to grow to maturity. That's Paul, the writer of this letter. So even though they were part of God's universal church, Paul expected them to meet together locally, to commit to loving one another, and learning to obey all that Christ has commanded. So I know that if Paul were here, he would share my encouragement to you to find a healthy church and commit to it. That's because at your conversion, God has brought you into his family. He's brought you into the church by de facto. So not committing to it then, to not regularly gather with a local church, is like ignoring your family. You're like a piece of the temple that refuses to grow together with the local manifestation of the temple here. I'm fine. I don't, need the, I don't need the rest of the temple. I'm just my own piece of the temple out here. But some of you are tempted to think that liberty is your church because in many ways its structures mimic the local church. They have campus community, church service, every Wednesday night. They have a leadership structure, you know, with resident shepherds on the halls. They have community group leaders. Many of you are those shepherds and community group leaders. But most of the resident shepherds are not actually pastors. And so, because of that, they're not actually held accountable to the biblical qualifications of a pastor. They would not be removed if they failed to meet those qualifications as a pastor. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that it's wrong or bad to have these structures on the hall. If you know me, you know that I encourage you to get involved in these structures on the hall. Because there's lots of opportunities there. Christian RAs and RSs, a Christian institution, 
These can be wonderful means of grace in our lives. But you just can't get confused and think that you can sub these out for the actual church. For the local body. Which brings me to our third reason why you must prioritize the church. So you must prioritize it. Number three, because the church is uniquely designed by God for our growth. The church is uniquely designed by God for our growth. Not only is the church what we're saved into when we come to Christ, that was reason number two, but it is the ideal environment to grow us to become useful and fruitful. Sketch that? It is the ideal environment according to God, for us to grow and become useful and fruitful. When God saved you and made you part of the church, He outfitted you with a set of gifts, it says in Ephesians 4.7. It's where this passage starts that I've, that I've cited here. But the only problem with this, and, and these gifts... Are to, are to be used to build up this body. So it's, you're, you're, supposed to be, you're supposed to be helpful. You're supposed to be a helpful participant to help other people grow. But now the problem, right? The problem is that, especially as new believers, younger believers, immature believers, is that we are riddled with sin that easily entangles us. We're depressed. We're anxious. We're full of lust. We're emotionally unstable. We're easily angered. Even though we're gifted, we're not that useful, at least not yet. Because we're constantly getting tripped up. We're doubting. There's, there's lots of things going on. We're more like a broken arm instead of a fully functioning arm in the church. And that means we need mending. Or as Paul will say in Ephesians 4, we need equipping. It's the idea. So how do we change? How do we get that equipping? Where do we find the help? Paul says it's not in the therapist's office, but it's in the church. It's what Christ had designed the church and the church leaders specifically, to do. In fact, Paul says that Christ has actually given the church gifts in the form of leaders. Leaders who do this very work of equipping. Look with me in verse, verse 11 and 12. And Christ, as He, He gave the apostles, reading one of His letters, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, to equip the saints, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So these faithful, qualified local church leaders teach the truth to the saints and they model the truth lived out. They help the saints overcome sin and learn to trust Christ, living new lives in the power of the Spirit. So in other words, the leaders put the saints on the mend. And they do that so that they can, so that the saints can be growing and getting after the multiplication of, of ministry, the work of ministry in the church, which means helping other people come to know Christ and grow up in their faith in Him. And that's exactly where this passage ends in chapter 4. Look with me in verse 15. He said, by speaking, rather, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, that's all of, all of us, all of you, when each part is working properly, that means when each part of the body has its gifts and they're functioning in the right way, when each part is working properly, what happens? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that means that a healthy church is designed by Christ with healthy pastors who will equip the saints for the work of ministry. And as that core grows, as they become equipped, they're going to multiply, and and we're going to see radical transformation happen right here in the church. And we need this kind of faithful shepherding. We should prioritize the church. The Lord in His infinite wisdom did not give therapists to His people for their transformation. He gave them pastors, according to this text. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. He didn't give them community groups in university, as helpful as those can be at times. He gave them the local church body. So Paul says, prioritize it. Paul says a healthy church will literally change your life. It will equip you tremendously for usefulness, and the Lord will use it to grow you to full maturity. Now this leads us to our fourth and final reason. We'll be quick here. That we must prioritize the church. It's because the church, it's kind of the flip side of this, it protects us from spiritual danger. We should prioritize the church because it's, it's given to us for our protection. In other words, we are in grave danger if we are floating and if we're uncommitted to a healthy local church. In this letter, Paul highlights some of the dangers that we're protected from when we've submitted ourselves to the church. I'll just give them to you. He says, we're protected from the danger of false teachers. Verse 14. We're to give ourselves to the church in this equipping ministry, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul says we're in danger of being tossed around like a ship at sea by every wind of doctrine. We need a healthy congregation then and its faithful pastors who revere the Word of God to teach us the truth so that we can know what the truth is, to model that truth for us so that we can know how it applies and to help us apply to our own lives, right where we're at. Think about this. Liberty has to stay incredibly wide in its theological positions, kind of by default. Why? So it doesn't ostracize any of its potential students from the denominations that they come from. And not just that, okay, I kind of get that part, and I don't agree with it, but I get it, But not just that, it occasionally invites to convocation people that we would put in the false teacher category. And I'm not talking about politicians or people who are not self-proclaimed pastors. I'm talking about the people that are pastors who are leading sheep astray. They're preaching a different Christ, a different gospel. And those are threats to the sheep, and those come through in convocation because they want to expose you to the ministries of different people. 
Now, all this to say, if you think you're insulated from every wind of doctrine at LU, you are not. Paul says here that the church is designed to help mature you to be discerning so that you won't be tossed around. But false teachers aren't the only danger. To make matters worse, there's the danger from your old nature. So I'll just highlight this just at a very high level. Just because you've come to Christ doesn't mean your old nature, that old humanity, that old edemic nature is dead, right? I mean, it is dead from a positional standpoint, but we have to learn to put it to death, which means that old nature is going to be constantly trying to influence us. And he says here in in chapter 4 that it influences us by trying to deceive us. So not only are there threats outside, there's threats bubbling up within you (laughs) of deception. And when we're deceived, we don't know it. So this underscores how much we need the truth to come to us from outside, from other faithful brothers and sisters and pastors in the context of the church. In the church, we're so committed to each other in love that we will help each other avoid those deceptions of our own hearts. We'll encourage and confront, if necessary, to help you discern the lies of your own heart. We'll come alongside you. We'll share how we've been deceived in some of these very areas and how the Lord's led us out, how He's taught us the truth and how the truth has set us free in those areas. And that's the kind of protection that we find in a healthy church. And finally, last one is just that Satan is on the prowl and there is the very real danger from Satan and his hordes. And Paul warns us about that over in chapter 6. We have a very real visible enemy to our souls and he schemes against us. He's crafty. And God's solution to him, his solution is that we grow in discernment right here together in the church and we learn to actually oppose his work in the world through the church. So, I know I've thrown a lot at you. We're done, okay? I know I've thrown a lot at you and we didn't even talk about everything. We just, we just started, I'm just gathering some principles here. Skimming off the top. But if all these reasons are a jumbled mess in your head right now, and you're overwhelmed because this is brand new stuff for you, just think of it like this. Why do we need to commit to the the church? Because the Lord has designed it for our protection, for our growth, and ultimately for His great glory in the world. No other institution can say that. So at the outset of the year, do not put the church on the back burner. If you're returning to us here at Timberlake and we're your church home, Make this congregation one of your top priorities. Immerse yourself with us as much as you can. And if you're visiting around, please know that we're not saying that you have to stay here. That's not the goal of my message. The goal of my message is to motivate you to evaluate and pick a healthy church and commit yourself fully to that body. But that raises another question. How do I know a healthy church from an unhealthy one? Don't worry, I'm not going to preach another message. (laughs) Thankfully, Christ has been very explicit about this too. And we're going to cover this over the next two weeks on Thursday nights. So if this is a burning question for you, gosh, you've really awakened my conscience now to these issues, come on Thursday. We're going to talk through that. We're going to try to equip you in that. Just a two-part series. If you have friends and you want to bring them because they're in different churches and you want to help them evaluate, we've, we've planned it this way so that you can bring people and have them think through these things. Our goal is not necessarily to grow our ministry. It's to get people in healthy churches. So that's what we're going to do. 
Um, and then after that, we're going to jump into an exposition of Philippians for the rest of the semester on Thursdays. So I'm very excited for that. Um, been thinking about that most of the summer. And remember, next week in this hour, the Missional Focus Sunday, no boundless. We're all going to be in the ministry center. But after that, we'll be back in here the following week. And I'm going to start a series on how we grow. How we grow up to maturity. It'll probably be about nine weeks worth of it. Okay? Because we're going to take our time and look through this, this process. What does it look like to become conformed, transformed into the image of Christ? How does it happen? What are the marks of transformation? So, come on, join us again, and, and we'll work through those. So, hopefully I'll see you at lunch today. We're going to go ahead and be dismissed. No prayer.